the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. When faced with a health challenge, people often spend their time waiting for a miracle to happen. According to today's guest, Dr. Mark Mancola, we have the power to create that miracle. Dr. Mancola contends that developing our superconscious mind and recognizing the divine source that exists within each of us can generate miracles. Dr. Mancola has been a practicing holistic physician for more than three decades. He is the author of the book, The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Superconsciousness. Welcome, Dr. Mancola. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your invitation. So, Doctor, before we talk about your book, The Way of Miracles, I want to discuss some of your philosophies and teachings regarding our general health and well-being. You've been a holistic physician for more than three decades. In doing this type of work, you practice whole person medicine. Can you explain to our listeners what that means? Well, first of all, a lot of what takes place in the world of medicine nowadays is something that just identifies with the general symptoms that somebody has. In other words, it's driven by symptoms. The, the concept of medicine nowadays is just trying to make the symptoms stop happening. So if somebody has a migraine headache, they just want to give them a medication that deadens the nerve endings and makes the pain stop. If somebody has a problem with their upset stomach, they just put them on alkaloids and just buffer the, the acidity in the stomach. They're not getting to the root of why things are happening. They don't get to the root of the headache. They don't get to the root of the stomach ache. And again, my contention is, the disease is systemic and holistic. We tend to think of healing as holistic, and it is. But I think the perfect holism is actually disease. It's a priori. If then. If I do this, then this is going to happen. If I if I eat too much sugar, then I'm going to actually be feeling lousy tomorrow or something like that. So I think there's so many different a priori concepts that, that bear out the point that disease is holistic. And there's a perfect a priori response. And I think we need to tap into the, the, the different systems, the different the different dominoes that fall when, when disease is trying to manifest, disease is trying to happen. So that's a starting point. And I think our objective with holistic medicine, body, mind, spirit medicine, is to tap into the to the essence, the, the source of the problem, the root of the problem. Where does it begin? How systemic is it, has it developed? How developed is it in, in not just in body, but how much is it in, involved in spirit, emotion, mental per, mental properties, et cetera, et cetera, so, diagnosing and treating disease, we need to get a lot more tuned into the fact that it's a systemic process, a holistic process. We have to understand how everything interacts and integrates. That's that's the key to to, to natural healing, in my opinion. Doctor, for me, it, it makes perfect sense because I think our body is a magnificent machine that has the ability to heal when we give it what it needs to get the job done. But do you ever feel like it's an uphill battle? Because I know people who are diabetic, for example, and they'll eat whatever they want, and they say, ah, oh, just go home and give myself an injection. It's like we have this lazy thought process around our health. So how do we combat that? That reminds me of a story a number of years ago. I actually used to go down to a Titleist Golf, golf, and I did corporate consulting for Fortune 500 companies for about six, seven years. And one of the companies I worked with actually was Titleist Golf. And there was a gentleman that I was working with who was a management person here. Very interesting guy, nice guy. And he worked hard at trying to take his diet seriously and to take his supplements and eat organic food and did, did a beautiful job taking care of himself. 
but he worked so hard at it. He had such serious digestive problems. They they removed two thirds of his stomach. They removed two thirds of his intestines surgically, and he was still inflamed. And they they just were determined to keep putting him on medications and remove segments of his intestines. And he was just not having any luck with it at all. So long story short, as we worked together, and I put him on a specific nutrition program that he followed very well. And as a, as a matter of course, within six months, he was pain-free, he was inflammatory, and anti-inflammatory. He was completely safe, no, no, more, no more symptoms whatsoever. He was perfectly fine, healthy as could be. But he worked hard to get there. He told me a story about when he went to his physician. He went to visit his physician. His physician he told his physician, I, I don't know what you guys are doing here, but I went to this nutritional doctor, and my, my symptoms are completely clear. I've never felt better in my life. And he said, Frank, why don't you just take the medication and eat whatever you want? When I heard that story, I just thought to myself, that is, that is basically what's wrong with medicine these days. That is classically what's wrong with it. So I think it's really important to, to realize that we're part of a systemic culture where, whereby we've been programmed to believe that medicine is the key. And we're programmed to believe that the, in the, what I call the purple pill mentality, that if, if we take the pill, life gets better, symptoms go away. The problem with that is medications often breed symptoms. They often produce side effects that are worse than the condition that you started with. So you've got, you got symptomatic problems that, are, that crop up from side effects. And, you, and as we said a few minutes ago, you're not getting to the root of the problem. You're actually working around the problem. Doctor, I'm one of those people who usually gets laughed at by my physicians. I, I don't like to take any medication. I don't even like to take Tylenol. I agree with you that there are things that we can be doing to move away from being medicated as the first course of action. And I know that you're a big proponent that food is medicine. And, and I've heard you state that seven of the leading 10 causes of death are directly related to diet and nutrition. That gives us so much power. And I know you were talking about, you know, what's broken in our in our medical system, but it just seems to me like that should be the headline news that's being shouted from all the rooftops. Well, the, the, the news that gets shouted from the rooftops is, is, is the news that's paid for. And I think that there is a tremendous power, the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry. I think the pharmaceutical industry governs a lot of what the criteria is in medical school. I think a lot of the, a lot of the um, things that young doctors are studying are sanctioned by, if not, if not written by, the pharmaceutical industry. So the curriculum is very heavily influenced by, by, by the pharmaceutical industry. I think that the, the power of the pharmaceutical industry determines what the news is, what the belief system is, to, to an extent. I think people are starting to, to educate themselves. They're starting to become a little bit more clear about the, the truth of the story. But I think that up until this point, and even still now, there's a very powerful hand, iron hand on controlling the information, dissemination of information in the news by the pharmaceutical industry. So I don't think that it's that easy for the average person to, to, to contend with because I think by and large, the average American is, is very cooperative and they believe in, in, their, in the systems that, that govern them, so to speak. And I think by and large, they, they accept but there's a system of living in this country that's, that's designed to, to, to be supportive, to be sensible, and help them and, and live in the way in which they determine to live their lives. But I don't think that, that it's the way it used to be. I think that people are starting to turn away from the establishment right now because there's, there's less trust in the fact that they've, they've known people, they've been friends with people, family members or perhaps even themselves who've had problems with pharmaceutical medicines. They've actually made them worse or, or, or worse yet. I mean, there are people that die from pharmaceutical medicine. 130,000 people a year die from pharmaceutical prescriptive medicine. So it's the eighth leading cause of death. It's called iatrogenesis. That's according to the University of Arizona. So the, the bottom line of it is medicine isn't as safe as people think it is. And it's certainly not as safe as they used to believe it. So I think they're starting to have more of an awareness about what's going on with that. And again, I think that the key is prevention is, 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 a, is a situation we need to focus on here because two, two aspects of medicine, prevention and, and um, intervention. So I think what we're dealing with right now is for the most part intervention. Now, there's, no, there's no emphasis on prevention per se by the government, by the, by the general factors of government in the country. And I think that for the most part, we're, we're looking to wait until something happens and then be given a prescription to make it go away. So, Doctor, in your new book, The Way of Miracles, you contend that we have the power to create miracles by accessing our superconsciousness. What is our superconsciousness? Well, we have different levels of consciousness in our mind that produce a variety of different states. 
states of mind. So we have the conscious mind. The conscious mind is your day-to-day awareness. Your eyes are open. You're, you're going about your daily business. And the conscious mind produces 2,000 bits of information per second. That's pretty remarkable. So the conscious mind can actually process 2,000 bits of information per second. Remarkable. The subconscious mind can produce 400 billion, 400 billion bits of information per second. So the, the subconscious mind and the unconscious mind are deeper states of awareness, deeper states of consciousness. They, they run into um, a very deep source that we have. So I say we have we have an energy where everything's energy. You know, there's, everything is 99.9% energy. And we think of everything as matter, as material basis, as physical. It's not. It, it was Dr. Heisenberg, Dr. Warner Heisenberg in 1937 said that everything is 99.999% energy. It not looks like matter. So we are energy, and we have a deep source of energy from within our core. You can call it a soul. You can call it an energetic source. You can refer to it with anything you're comfortable with. But I think we have this core self, this core being within ourselves. It has far greater capability, far greater capacity to have wisdom, knowledge, to access deeper awarenesses, to transcend common thinking. So I think we have two two general states of mind. I mean, we have unconscious, subconscious, superconscious, and conscious. I think it breaks down into two major factors. Superconscious mind is your deeper self, like I said a minute ago, that's capable of intuiting and reasoning at deeper levels. I think when we com- when you combine that with what I refer to as God consciousness, universal consciousness, because again, there's, there's, there's consciousness. The universe is consciousness. Let's, let's say that first of all. The other thing is we don't have consciousness. We are consciousness. And the other component of that is when we, when we merge our consciousness with universal consciousness, I think that's when we reach our super consciousness. Again, it's, it's, it's like when you go into meditation in deeper states, brainwaves, think about brainwaves. Beta brainwaves are like when you're, you're in your conscious mind, you're driving through traffic in the morning on your way to work, you're kind of nervous and stressed out because the traffic is, is nasty and all that stuff. That's, that's, that's consciousness and that's actually the, the beta brainwave state. Beta brainwaves are kind of tense. Then we have alpha brainwave states, that's meditative. When you're first falling asleep at night, when you first wake up in the morning, in that kind of dreamy state, that's alpha brainwaves. That's that's a very fertile state to learn, to grow, to meditate, to relax, to lower your blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have delta states. Delta states are the states that I believe we need to attain to. It's deeper than meditation. Like when you go into meditation, you reach alpha state, like meditative alpha states, and you keep going deeper with it. That's when you reach delta. Delta brainwave states are less than four cycles per second. And that's when the brain actually slows way down the tension, the nervousness. The monkey brain, as the Buddhist call, is becomes becomes it's gone. So you lose the monkey brain, that nervous chatter brain. It's, it's so obsessive and so intensely distracting. And you lose that. When you lose that, you have far greater capacity to concentrate on deeper levels and to come up with much deeper answers. So when we can tap into those deeper levels. How then does that heal us physically, whatever challenge we may be facing? Well, first I'd say that it, is, it enables us to tap into um, the way to heal. So it taps into miracles. And again, miracles, to me, I don't think miracles, it's like we're sitting around at the bus stop waiting for miracles to pull in the driveway. I think the key of miracles is we need to go to where they are. They're not going to come to us. You can reject miracles. You can accept miracles. You can expect miracles or even create miracles. I say you want to you want to engage your, your volition. You want to engage your your higher will. You want to believe that you have the power to make miracles happen. You go to them by reaching deeper states and going into deeper states with a confidence. You manifest at a much higher level. That's how manifest happens. When you go into higher states and you become positive and, and determined in a positive way to do great things and wonderful things. I think we're, we're we're capable of doing that. I mean, I've done that in my work for 37 years and 60,000 appointments. We've had so many miracles in this place. It's just, just crazy. We have them every week, every week, and truly remarkable experiences. And we have interns that come in and work with us, and we have associates come in and work with us, and they see, you know, they're, they're nurse practitioners and whatnot, and they see what we do. And it's just it's undeniable. It's very powerful. And I find my, my, the book, The Way Miracles Book and The Way Miracles Movie, uh, the movie and the book, tell the stories about what we've done with patients and great stories, great miracle stories, and how, they, how, how do we make them happen? Because my goal was to make sure that I conveyed to the, to the world at large that we have had this remarkable capacity to make miracles happen, and I think there's a way to it, and that's, that's what our book and movie are about, teaching people the way to make miracles, going to deeper places and, and tapping into this higher source energy. 
puts us in the, in, the, in the plane, the field of existence with miracles. So that's number one. Number two, I want to say one other quick thing. That by going into these deeper states, your nervous system just said a minute ago, calms down significantly, which is better for your cardiovascular system, your neurological system, your immune system, your adrenal glands, et cetera, et cetera. So you, in terms of fight or flight, you're moving more into a parasympathetic dominance. We have two nervous systems, sympathetic and parasympathetic. I think the key to parasympathetic is the relaxation response, the to clarity response, and that's the important place to, to, to arrive at if you want to strengthen your nervous system, your cardiovascular center. Doctor, in your book, you share a personal story, and you say you have miracles in your office all the time, but you personally experienced a miracle as well. And when you were dealing with this crisis, and, and I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that with our listeners, you said something that I found to really hit home in my own life. You said, my spirit had been diseased for so long that my body was now riddled with disease. And and I know, you know, the work that I'm doing, it, it's to connect the mind, body, spirit, because when we have a physical challenge, we tend to think that it is, it's just physical, but we don't understand that the spirit has a role in that. And, and those words, uh, you know, I, I think that, that there really aren't truer words that can be said. Well, first of all, I, I firmly believe that separation is an illusion. So I think we are all wired together. So I think our, our body, mind, spirit are all one thing. They're not, they're not several different things that are just compartmentalized. I think they're all one energy field. And they support each other. They create each other. And they, they flow through, they flow through and, and, and with each other as well. So, in my experience, you know, four and a half years ago, I, I met a producer in New York. The producer is Christina Vertilla Bresson. She's the producer for our film, The Way of Miracles. So I was introduced by my one of my sons, Christina, I met, and we worked hard many a weekend for a better part of three and a half years trying to pull this film together on paper and trying to plan it out and, and decide what, what our message was going to be and how we were going to map out the message, et cetera. She worked pretty hard during that experience. And again, the key is I was looking forward to, to picking on several patient stories, six, five or six patient stories. They're truly remarkable miracles, truly, truly amazing situations that, that are so transcendent that the average person is going to watch this film and just be absolutely blown away by it. So we, we put the film together right in the middle of the experience. I contracted Lyme disease. I have a dear friend who died from Lyme disease, but at the same time that I contracted it. And Lyme disease kills people. I mean, there's 330,000 new cases every year. It's a potentially life-threatening condition. It's a bacterial in- in- infection that, that rages, and there's no there's no simple cure for the process. There's no simple way to treat it. Um, and the type of Lyme that I have is neuroborrelius. My nervous system is, was inflamed profoundly. My joints, my muscles, my ligaments, my tendons. I couldn't walk. I was unable to, to walk after a while to the point where I was falling to the ground consistently. And I was really, I became, became paralyzed for the better part of two and a half weeks. It's a horrible situation, terrible, terrible situation. I was in the bathroom floor for 14 hours because I'd fallen and hit my head in the tiles on the floor. I knocked over some bathroom chemicals, cleaning chemicals, and I, was, I couldn't move myself. So I was inhaling the cleaning chemicals and swallowing them, and it was just a horrifying experience all the way. So after 14 hours of that, hell. I actually asked myself if I wanted to live because I thought to myself I could be paralyzed for the rest of my life and I could determine whether I'm prepared to live in a, in a paralyzed state. It's a horrible situation, to say the least. And I didn't know the answer to the question because I was that, I was that destitute lying on that bathroom floor. And I sat about halfway into that question, about 25, 30 minutes later, I started screaming for help. And by the, fact that I was, by the mere fact that I was yelling for help, I learned that I wanted to live. I learned that I wanted to continue. So that was my miracle. My miracle that I became determined at that point to turn my life around, to completely regain my, my faculties, to get my strength back, to, to get my balance back, to get my, my strength back in my legs, my, my muscles, joints, ligaments, tendons, et cetera, to rid myself of the pain and to overcome the suffering that I went through. And I, and I did that. I did that. I worked really hard through that process. I worked spiritually. I worked mentally. I became deeply programmed to recover. Um, and I, I took a number of different supplements that I'm very familiar with that, are, that were very helpful, and I, and I reached a complete recovery. So that was my miracle. And, and surprise, surprise, and like I said a minute ago, I was waiting to talk about six other miracles. That, that's what my movie and my book were about. But the, the first chapter in the book is called My Unexpected Miracle, and we bumped that to the front of the book, and after that, that event happened, and that, that's um, 
a very powerful detour that we had to take, and it made made the book a very different kind of book altogether, and different different kind of story in the film as well. The book is The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Superconsciousness. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Mancola and his work, you can visit markmancola.com. Doctor, in our final moments, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? You are not what you think you are. You're radically different than you've been led to believe. You have infinite power. You have unlimited access to power that you could actually cultivate and implement on a moment-by-moment, day-to-day basis. You have remarkable powers to heal, to produce miracles, and to do it consistently on an ongoing basis. It's important that you become opened up to and aware of and awakened to and conscious of the level of perfect energetic capacity that that actually lend themselves to miracle making. So you are miracle makers. You're not who you think you are. Inspire yourself to reach beyond your grasp and to become miracle makers that you were designed to be. Dr. Mancola, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much. So, Lisa... You have experienced a horrific loss in your life, and and we've never really talked about this before. Can you briefly tell us what happened to you? I wish it was brief. I'll do my best. Uh, Quickly, my husband, Teddy, was on the 105th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center and was killed in in the attacks on September 11th. Um, He was beloved. We lived in a small small little town um he had had just gone to work that morning and that's the last i saw of him so it's a very peaceful place actually that it was kind of an esoteric like movie script um what happened is that in my surprise in the hours and days and weeks and months and years that followed was this unbelievable kindness that was showered on me from around the world that literally never ever and to this day, we're at the, almost at the 20th anniversary. It's still, I still am treated when people understand my story. I'm given that extra moment of pause, that consideration, because people know what happened to me, which has made me always wonder, like, what if we knew everybody's story? What if we treated everyone like a 9-11 family? Mm-hmm. And we gave them that graceful moment to say, wow, what have they just lived through? So the, the, we were, we're talking about silver linings in this situation. The silver lining is the foundation of the book, which was written to basically say, you know, how do I heal from trauma, any trauma? Doesn't, you don't, you know, 9-11 is just the most extraordinary example of trauma, but we all live through different traumas and it's all relative to our own experience. But with those traumas always comes silver linings or what, I, or what is great. And in my opinion and in my experience, it is the magnanimous aspect of the human spirit that comes forward, the unbelievable beauty and grace of how magically powerful we are in this beautiful way of love. 
for each other, especially when challenged in a difficult, difficult time. As you said, Lisa, we all have 9-11 moments, different degrees of them. Some are as extraordinary as the one you experienced and others, you know, they knock us to our knees. It could be a loss of a mother or um, even just a child going off to school, whatever it might be. You were able to see the gifts and the blessings at some point during your healing. When did that occur for you? Were you able to see them early on or did that take some time? From my experience, which I think is is probably on the more unique side, I, I felt it immediately. So because much of my experience was actually being guided, and I know that to the to many listeners that might just seem really too odd, but but I couldn't stop seeing the beauty in everything. I couldn't stop seeing the grace in that from the 11 o'clock in the morning on. Something significantly shifted, and which is why there's a book because it's a unique, very unique experience because I would prep for my, for, for Teddy's death, I was prepared for by two other life experiences, which we've talked about in the past, that, that life prepares you for life. Well, in this situation, uh, Ted's mom had been very worried about his health, so she, she told me he was going to have a heart attack every time I saw her for the 10 years of our marriage. And so I ran his death through my mind literally hundreds of times to the point where I could get myself worked up enough to be, you know, weeping and in fear. And the other piece is he walked down in the first bombing in 1993. So I already dealt with terrorism and he had been on the same floor in the same company. So for the morning of 9-11, while my experience was so different, was because I was prepared that I, once the building fell and, and it was kind of this new reality of which was very surreal for me, I could see things in this remarkable way. So part of my experience and why I could see the positivity was because I had been elevated in this in this energy of grace and beauty and love that was countermanding the terrorism. And what I believe we all had, if, uh, you know, and I'm sure other people had experiences of this because much has been written since, that things shifted. And, and when you're in great trauma, um, and great trauma, again, is relative to your own life, but trauma is an opener. And when you're open like that, things, you know, the universe can come in, God can come in, nature can come in and help support you. So that to me is, you know, the ultimate silver lining. Lisa, for anyone who's listening to us right now who is experiencing some form of grief and and loss and trauma, what do you say to that person to help them make that shift, to see the silver lining from their tragedy? Well, things like who showed up for you? Like, you know, I know we feel very alone in COVID. It's a very isolating experience, of course, for all of us. But there have been really unique moments of connectivity. I mean, what if this had been five years ago even, and, and Zoom wasn't where it was or where our technology wasn't where it was? I mean, we didn't really even have a down moment before we could connect through the Internet. And while none of us really want to, how fortunate are we that that's happened? So, again, there's ways to look at things. Now, a loss and to all those who have lost loved ones and through this horrible illness and, and other illnesses and other experiences of this time, you know, we have to remember that death is part of life. And as much as we miss that person, that love will never die. And that's what I wasn't so sure about when Teddy died, is that I would lose him. I would forget him. And so how can we look at that idea that you woke up today and he's still or she's still with you? And, you know, how can you see the showing up for you or the unexpected friends that came to the door and brought you food and even with their masks on or talked to you through the window? You know, those little moments, those, those ways to see the silver linings that keep us from tipping into the abyss. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. Have you ever heard the word subluxation? Well, it's an important word, and a lot of people don't know what it means. Medically, a subluxation simply means a partial dislocation of a joint. In chiropractic, a subluxation is a neurological upset because of a vertebral misalignment. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, and I'm a chiropractor practicing at Pure Balance Center with offices in Clifton, New Jersey, and in New York City. Now, why are subluxations potentially important to you and your family? The reality is that stresses on our body can cause forces to shift 
the vertebral column from its optimal alignment and mobility. Really, what this is for you is a separation from wholeness because it disrupts your body's ability to communicate from brain to body. Do you want to be optimally functioning? And do you want to thrive in this life? You must get checked. Simply get checked by a chiropractor to determine if you or anyone in your family has been disrupted by subluxation of the vertebral column. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood. Feel free to reach out to us at purebalancecenter.com. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts. Stoprex.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. They say in life, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. Today's guest, Shaka Singor's story, reminds us that the worst deeds don't define who we are. In 1991, Shaka shot and killed a man. He was, he says, a drug dealer with a quick temper and a semi-automatic pistol. He was jailed for second-degree murder and spent much of his time angry, blaming others for what happened to him. That could have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. Instead, it was the beginning of a new journey with humbling and sobering lessons for us all. Shaka is a writer, mentor, and motivational speaker whose story of redemption has inspired thousands. He has appeared on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and is the author of the book, Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison. Welcome, Shaka. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. So, Shaka, your story, it proves that it is never too late for any of us to change anything that we want to do differently. So... Tell us about your journey. What was going on in your early life that led you to the violence that landed you in prison? Yeah, so in my early childhood, I, you know, I grew up in a household where I dealt with some very serious, you know, child abuse uh, at the hands of my mother. And my father was pretty much complicit in that in the sense that he did nothing to really intervene. And so at the age of 14, I ended up running away, got quickly seduced into the drug culture, and experience every imaginable horror that comes with that culture from childhood friend being murdered to myself being robbed at gunpoint, beaten into the death, two of my older siblings being shot, and then I myself was shot at the age of 17. Um, and, and around 14 to 16 months later, I got into a similar conflict, and I decided to fire what turned out to be four fatal shots tragically causing a man's death. So when all of this was going on in your life, you didn't see a future for yourself, did you? No, I thought my life was over. I mean, at the age of 16, um, I attempted suicide. I was just so depressed and uh, really just disconnected from my authentic self. And then when I ended up in, you know, going to be sentenced to prison, I was turned out I got sentenced to 17 to 40 years in prison. I thought that was the end of the story. I thought my life would end with me behind bars. Um, and that I would never see an opportunity to redeem myself. At that time, Shaka, did you understand what you had done? Did you make the connection between that murder and yourself? I didn't. It took some years. Um, Fortunately, I was really blessed to have several things happen during my incarceration. Uh, Five or six years in, I received a letter of forgiveness from the victim's family, and that letter kind of basically laid the groundwork for my own personal transformation uh, then also, you know, had some amazing mentors who are currently serving life sentences. Um, and they really, really inspired me and challenged me to grow and read and, and learn. Uh, and then the third thing was getting a letter from my son and, and him just expressing how devastated it was for him to find out why I was in prison. And that just really challenged me to look into myself and I started journaling. And that's when I began to take writing seriously. So you decided at some point through all of those uh, events that occurred that you wanted to turn your life around. So while you were in prison, what action did you take to live up to your word? Well, while I was inside, uh, the first, one of the first things I began to do is journal. Um, and I, I began to kind of go back and, and, you know, navigate, you know, the things that I experienced during my childhood. And that was really, really powerful and impactful. Uh, and then meditating, you know, once I began to understand what had transpired, I began to meditate and pray and, and you know, study 
um, and writing just became my therapy. So, Shaka, because you were on the inside, you have an understanding of, of what goes on in the minds of prisoners. And is it common for people to turn their life around the way you did? I think it can be common if we create the atmosphere for it to happen. I personally believe that all human beings are redeemable. Uh, I haven't met one person who didn't have a desire to turn their lives around when I was inside. It was just a matter of knowing how to do it and what was necessary to make that happen. Um, for me, it was really a matter of, you know, being literate, being able to read, you know, and, and be inspired by books like the autobiography of Malcolm X and Nelson Mandela and, and, and other brilliant writers and people who had amazing stories. But it was a lot of hard work, you know. And, and so what I believe is that, you know, people by nature are redeemable. And we just have to create an atmosphere, especially in our prison system, to help those, specifically those with mental illness, uh, who suffer the most inside that environment. So, Shaka, what have you been doing since your release? Yeah, so when I got released from prison, I knew that I wanted to work with young men and women in the inner city. Uh, I grew up in Detroit, and I felt like I really, my real debt that was owed was to the kids who were growing up in the, in the you know, aftermath of the lifestyle that I lived. And so I mentored schools. I uh, adopted pod every year at my local youth home, uh, the juvenile detention center, where I work, you know, with the administrators to help the young men uh, read and, and learn and study and prepare them for life after their detention. Uh, I worked on criminal justice reform on a national level with an organization called Cut 50. And those are the things that drive my work the most. So when you were younger, before you ended up in prison, you were talking about being angry and, and falling in with the wrong people and, and doing acts that you know, I'm sure growing up, you never imagined you'd be doing. So when you're working with kids that are you, they're angry, they don't see any hope for the future, they they really don't see anything that's possible for them. Are they listening to you? How do you get through to them? Yeah, well, they're, they're definitely listening. What I found is that young men and women growing up in, in tough environments, you know, a lot of times when we try to mentor them as adults, we tend to talk to them more than listen. And what I found is that listening to them really helps me just guide them and, and, and provide them with the resources necessary for them to make better decisions. Um, you know, the, the thing that, that really matters to young people is authenticity, street credibility, and realness. You know, they don't want nobody who hasn't had a real lived experience that mirrors theirs coming to tell them what they need to do. They really want to connect with people who come from where they come from, but who figured out how to navigate their way through life uh, despite the obstacles they may have faced. And so just being able to be connected to the environment and who they are, what's important to them, has allowed me to be very effective as a mentor. For someone that's listening to you right now that may be heading down the wrong path, whatever that path might be, and he, he or she wants to turn his or her life around, what do you say to that person? To them, I would say, you know, take it one moment at a time, not one day at a time but one moment at a time. Because oftentimes we try to live so far in the future that we can't deal with what's right in front of us. But if we take it moment and moment for moment, you know, you'll figure out the steps that's necessary to turn your life around. And you'll start finding that you will attract those things to you. I believe firmly in the laws of attraction. Mm -hmm. And I believe that when you, when you focus on what you really, really want in life, it becomes kind of like your GPS, your navigation system, if you will, uh, that allows you to really know when you're going off track and when you're going off route, but it also give you the direction you need to get towards your goal. But it just really starts with the moment and being in the moment, being present in the moment and understanding that life happens moment to moment. Obviously, you believe in second chances and we all make mistakes. So why do you think second chances are so important for other people and for ourselves? Well, I think second chances are, are so important because it allows us to see the best in humanity. I mean, you can't fully experience joy without understanding that, you know, pain exists and that it's part of our reality. And it's the human thing to do is to give people second chances to redeem themselves. Uh, we throw away so much genius and so much brilliance in this country. And it's really sad and, and, and sickening to know that once a person has made a poor decision, that they'll be held hostage to that for the rest of their lives. And I always ask people if they've ever done anything that was really, really embarrassing or that they were really ashamed of. And most people have done something that they're not proud of, and no one wants to be held hostage to that moment for the rest of their lives. And so why would we do that to somebody else? And then the other part of it is 
most of us have some type of spiritual or religious background or belief system, and the cornerstone of that is redemption and second chances. And so if we're going to really practice it, we have to allow it to play out in our real lives. Shaka, how important was your faith in your redemption process? Uh, my spiritual uh, faith is, was really, is really important. I mean, I, that, you know, being spiritually grounded allows me to navigate through the emotions of the, of the volatile environment that I was in, but it also allowed me to tap into my inner strength and, and really to see myself as connected to the universe and, and connected to other human beings in a real way. And so without that, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. The book is Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison by Shaka Singor. If you would like to get more information about the book or Shaka's work, you can visit his website, shakasungor.com. That's S-H-A-K-A-S-E-N-G-H-O-R, shakasungor.com. Shaka, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I want our listeners to walk away understanding that Everybody has the potential to turn their lives around. And that transformation is real and that redemption is possible if we create the platform and the opportunity. Collectively, we can do it. Shaka, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story of forgiveness, hope, and second chances. Uh, your story reminds us that our worst deeds don't define us. And, and I think that is such an important message. So thank you for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. With the beginning of another school year approaching, you may be wondering what the future holds for your child when it comes to college. We all know that a college education doesn't come cheap. Hi, my name is Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. Here are some tips to consider before preparing to save for your child's college education. Number one, start saving today. It's never too soon for parents to start saving into a college fund for their children. One of the biggest mistakes is thinking that you have plenty of time before you will have to sign a big check for school. However, if you begin saving early, you will give your child more options and feel better prepared for the future. Number two, college saving accounts. Ask your advisor about the different savings vehicles used specifically for college. Find out if a 529 plan, Coverdell Education Savings, savings account or a non-college specific account is best for your situation. For more information on saving for college, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. Did you know that your body's response to music is dependent on the music that you are listening to? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, a sound therapist, and the owner of Awaken Sound Health a meditation and sound healing studio located in Chester, New Jersey. Chronic stress can lead to hypertension and put you at risk for heart attack and stroke. Music that has a slow or relaxed tempo can slow your heart rate and increase vasodilation, which reduces blood pressure and increases blood flow and oxygenation of your organs. In a sound therapy session, you are exposed to music with a very relaxed tempo or instruments that produce slow, pulsing sounds that can induce a relaxation response. Your breath slows, your heart rate slows, and muscular tension dissipates. These types of changes are short-lived, but if you engage in daily activities that slow your breathing and induce a relaxation response or meditation, you can experience a continuous reduction in blood pressure, an elevated mood, and an increase in overall well-being. To learn more about sound therapy or to book an appointment, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. 
So, Eileen, for years, you have been working with women to help us see our individual beauty. With all the messages that we as women receive about what beauty is and how we're supposed to look, what do you believe makes a woman beautiful? Uh, it's a wonderful question, and I want to start with a moment in time where, uh, when I woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror, okay? I'm going to start with that. So I woke up one morning, looked in the mirror, and I saw gray, frizzing hair, and I saw yellowing teeth, and I saw crepey skin on my upper arms, and cellulite on my thighs and on parts of my belly, and I there was no hint of a thigh gap there, and I'm hoping that you can hear some degree of sarcasm here mm -hmm. because I really believe this is in part what many of us experience in moments when we wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, how did this happen that I look this way? And part two of this little scenario, though, is I'm thinking in my fantasy, oh, I can take care of this problem. All I have to do is turn on TV. And I turn on TV, and I am inundated with an array of products and services that can get rid of my frizzy hair, color the gray, take care of the yellowing teeth through bleached products and the crepey skin, and I could go on and on and on. And this is what happens for us women. We look at the preponderance of ads that where the marketers, and to be honest with you, I believe this is what happens. Uh, not only do they see the problems out there that we women have, but they also create the problems that we have or that we are told we have and then create a product in order to solve that problem. And we spend billions of dollars a year uh, as women trying to uh, make ourselves look like the advertisements that we see where supposedly these women have bought the products, used them, and now they look perfect. And if not perfect, almost perfect. And that's a, a disservice to us because we're human and we're not supposed to be perfect. And one of the things that makes us beautiful is the fact that we are human and we are imperfect and our imperfections make us beautiful. As you've been sharing your thoughts on this, I just keep thinking just about every woman has experienced this. And, you know, you see the drastic things that that people are doing, you know, through the surgeries and the injections and starving themselves and over-exercising and then that leads to eating disorders and all of these things that we're doing in an attempt to be quote unquote beautiful. And I'm not sure how we break this cycle. You and I have spoken in the past about the importance of, you know, working on the inside out, but how do you start doing that so that it becomes a, a, a way of life that's sustainable? You ask the best questions I have to say, and this is another wonderful one. And firstly, I have to say I've learned to practice acceptance. And this has been tough for me because what does acceptance mean? There are lots of women who think that acceptance is, well, it just is what it is. And, I'm, you know, it's just telling me to let go of myself. And I don't see it at all like that. But for me, here's what acceptance means. Acceptance, firstly, that these advertisers are spending billions of dollars a year. Are they going to change their marketing messages because I'm uncomfortable or you're uncomfortable, Joan, or that our women listeners are uncomfortable? Absolutely not. So I can change the channel. I can change my mind and I can change how I see myself and I can accept and this is also part of acceptance that no matter how much I weigh or what size clothing I wear, as I get older, my body's going to change. I've said this repeatedly in my articles, in my blogs, and to you, Joan, that women's bodies are designed to change. 
as we get older, our bodies are going to change. And here's my final acceptance, which I share with you and with all of us. No matter how much I weigh or what size I'm in, I'm beautiful. And I accept that as my personal truth. Eileen, so we're talking about the messages that we get from media and advertising, but what about the messages that we receive in our own homes when people who we love and respect are giving us those messages? I think it's challenging because I am going to say that the earlier we hear I'm fat or whatever it is, it could be about um, being too emotional or it could be about a learning disability. The, the earlier we get a message that there's something wrong with us, the more of an imprint that that message has. And so for me, and I think for many women out there, we got a message early, early on, that we were too large, that we did not fit in with the family culture of what beauty is. Even if, oh, by the way, we weren't fat. Until we decide, and we're the only ones who can do this, only ones who can do this, to change the messaging. We have to change the messaging ourselves. You are beautiful because you love your body. You appreciate your body. You take care of your body. If you would like to learn how to find body freedom, you can learn more about Eileen and her work at findbodyfreedom.com. Or to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.